0: Thing knows, he knows not a damn, damn thing at all. And every time I felt the hurt and I felt the giving getting me up off the wall, I'm just going to take a minute and let it ride. I'm just going to take a minute and let it breeze. I'm just going to take a minute and let it ride. I'm just going
1: to take a minute and let it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Take a Minute Podcast. In this episode, I actually get a chance to speak with my brother, Zach, who is currently living in Chicago. Uh, He just moved into a new apartment. He got a new dog recently. Um, He works for Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in health insurance. Um, He's also super into the NBA and and sports. And so those are a few of the topics that we get into during the podcast. But before jumping into that, I want to continue on with the trend of talking about something that I've been thinking about recently and something that I think other people might find interesting. And so the idea I wanna talk about today is actually connected to the idea that I brought up in the third episode of the podcast in which I talk about the distinction between a passive versus an active hobby or activity or just way to take up your time. And to explain that, right? uh, Passive would be reading a book scrolling through Instagram, watching a movie, buying food, all those are passive, right? You're not really doing anything. You're more so just participating in the activity and um, another person or people is doing the thing for you, right? Whether it be like writing the book or making the food, etc. And so that's passive. Um, and then active would be just the flip side of that, right? So less focused on participating and more focused on actually doing. So Um, you know, writing the book, um, again, making food, uh, writing a a blog post, creating an Instagram post. um, Those are kind of examples of being more active um, and more um, action-oriented. And I think the distinction between those two, what it really boils down to is you have passive and active on one side, and it boils down to consume or produce, right? Um, Every one of those Uh, activities is, in essence, what you're doing is just consuming, right? Whether it be food, uh, social media, content, anything. Um, And the other side of that is like, is producing, it's like producing all those things that other people can then consume. And when I was thinking about this further, you know, I realized how much of my day is really just consume, Um, like consume, 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 if you really take a second and think about, you know, each, activity, each thing that you're really doing and, and what it is actually entailing, um, you know, I think you'd be really surprised by how much is actually, again, just, just consume. Um, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily think consuming is a inherently bad thing. Um, I think, you know, one of the benefits of a modernized economy is specialization and skills and, and workforce. And so, you know, I'm not going to go write the code for Instagram, right? But somebody else is going to, and then I can use that application, right? Like that's just a product of um, like a modern economy and kind of what makes humans so successful in the first place. So consume consumption isn't inherently bad, but I think, you know, when it gets dialed up to like close to a hundred percent where the only thing you're doing during your day is, consume, that's kind of when it needs to, you know, uh, uh, you need to take a step back and maybe think about it a a little bit further. And maybe that is okay, right? But at least the awareness of what you're doing is is there, right? So like, even if you decide like, yeah, that's fine to do that again, like that is okay. But I think having the awareness is important. I also want to emphasize the point that I actually don't consider myself to be on like the producer side right i think that it's rather like a goal of mine that i recognize um that i want to move towards but i you know as i said earlier like i throughout my day it's shocking to me how much i'm just consuming I, you know i think i'm on the far end of the spectrum in terms of i don't i don't really buy many things i i bought two t-shirts yesterday and that was that was a, a big day for me i don't like normally Buy too many things, um, but at the same time, it, it doesn't really matter because in all these other ways, I still feel like I'm consuming, right? Um, like, like I mentioned, like I keep mentioning, reading books, uh, Instagram, um, y- eating food, even like all these things are different ways that I'm consuming. And so, yeah, you know, more of so just a goal that I personally am working towards because to me, what it really means is. Is, is self reliance, right? Like, it, it, it's really important to me, just personally, that I am able to be self reliant in situations where uh, I don't have the opportunity to lean on other people. And I don't think, you know, again, I don't think I'm good at that, like, at all, actually, but <laughs> it's just a goal that I'm working towards, right? Like, how to cook, you know, really consistently for myself, uh, how to work out if there is like nothing around me. Um, all those kinds of things where, you know, I, I I know I'd be capable in a situation where I don't have anything. So so yeah, I those are a few of my recent kind of musings and ideas that I've had. Um but let's jump into the podcast and the conversation with my brother Zach. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy. All right, my man. So what's up? How's How's everything been going? We chatted for a few minutes before talking on the podcast, but yeah, how's everything going? Everything's
2: going well, my brother, literally, <laughs> yeah, figuratively.
1: Um,
2: yeah, man, I'm glad to be on here and, and really happy with you know what you've been doing here. I think it's a great idea, a great forum to kind of connect with people and also allow other people to listen to the conversation. So I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that.
1: No, it's been fun, man. It's been really fun. I'm pleasantly surprised with how much I've enjoyed doing it. So that's, yeah, it's cool to hear.
2: It's all that matters.
1: Yeah, there you go. Um, Yeah, so I I wanted to start just by asking uh, if you could do just a brief introduction for the people that are listening, maybe talk a little bit about your path, like what you studied and like your career and and what you're currently up to.
2: Yeah, so my name is is Zachary Davidoff, and I happen to be the uh, blood sibling of the owner of this podcast, Kyle, <laughs> the, uh, elder brother, and um, yeah, I mean it's been interesting. You know, I don't I don't talk to Kyle as much as I would like. I think it's just the way that you know where we're at in our lives. Uh, him being traveling all over the world, and, and me uh, kind of selling down in Chicago and getting caught up in, in normal day stuff. But basically, uh, you know, we grew up in New York. I went to Indianapolis, got a degree in risk management from Butler University, and now I've been in Chicago for the last four years, um, and I work in healthcare strategy for uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, so that kind of sums it up briefly, but you know, definitely uh, excited to be on the podcast, like I said, and, and, and kind of really catch up and, and talk about what's going on in the world with the, uh, with the Broski. Yeah, man.
1: Well, let's start with uh, with studying risk management at Butler. Let's go back to the foundation there. Um, Like, how did that how did you initially come to the realization that you wanted to study that?
2: Yeah, I mean, shoot, I let me it's been a little bit since my brain went there, but actually, so my um, academic advisor at Butler was someone I was close with and he ran the risk management program. Shout out to Zach Finn. He's doing great things at Butler. Um, and, and Zach, you know, creative risk management's not a very it's a it's under the business, you know, school and it's not a very popular degree. You'll find it at a lot of universities, but you know, it's a very prevalent degree in the in the sense that there's a lot of demand for it. And what risk management really is, is insurance and kind of studying analytics and being able to make like predictive analytics. Um, so a lot of it's insurance when you think about healthcare risk pools and even like, um, you know, property insurance, uh, estate, farm and, and progressive, things like car insurance, things like that. So, you know, insurance is such a large field, but a lot of the people that operate in it, don't really have that type of background. They kind of come from, you know, sales or entrepreneurship, different type of business background. So risk management is kind of specific to that type. And I, I just loved my uh, academic advisor. And he, like I said, he was running the risk management program and, and I kind of just jumped along with it. I didn't really have any idea prior to that what I wanted to do.
1: Okay. And so through studying that, that's kind of how you fell into healthcare and insurance and realized that you enjoyed so- it. Um,
2: so you know, I failed to mention that I actually also had a minor in healthcare management. So I was taking healthcare classes um, while I was at Butler, as along with risk management. They're kind of a good mix when you study yeah. risk management and healthcare. Um, and what how I really kind of got introduced into the industry was an internship with a pharmaceutical company, Pfizer. Um, one summer that I really enjoyed, and then uh, I, you know, that was the summer of my junior year, and then senior, year, I started diving a little bit more into healthcare classes and took a liking to it. So it was always, you know, it was always an industry that I thought I could. Uh, you know, swim at, you know, be successful in and and enjoy. So um, that's kind of my first realization uh, came to it. But I didn't, you know, when I graduated school, I was pretty picky about what what my first job was and where it was. And as you know, you know, I I didn't go back to New York and I didn't stay in Indianapolis. So I decided to go to Chicago without having a job. And so spending two, three months, you know, evaluating all the opportunities in Chicago. And then luckily something really good came up and I was able to land it. Actually at the time I was, I got, I got two offers, one from uh, a software company that I really enjoyed as well and decided to go with the, the design path of healthcare um, with Blue Cross Blue Shield. And glad I did, you know, I've been on the same team uh, at Blue Cross for four, four and a half years now they treated me well. and I've enjoyed my time. I've learned a lot for sure.
1: So I, I I wanna go back to like y- before you mentioned that you had an internship in healthcare and then realized that as an industry that you enjoyed. Like what what's specifically about the industry? Like what yeah, what what are you curious about and what you like about it?
2: Just so many variables and the volatility that it it has, you know, how much it's changing. You think about an industry like you think about economics, supply and demand. Where a lot of industries kind of fit into that realm where you know like a shoe a shoe company nike you know they produce shoes and um and, and try to meet their demand um trade-offs opportunity costs all those economic terms really fit yeah. in nicely for a, for a lot of industries but when you think about healthcare there's it, there's like just so many different intricacies when you talk about it and because economics supply and demand it's all there but in reality, it's a sensitive topic. You know, everyone needs healthcare, people, um, you know, for personal reasons uh, very often. And then how crazy the United States healthcare system is with the efficiency component, the, you know, the unaffordability, the economic dependence from people to receive healthcare compared to other countries. So, all that. You know, and, and the constant change with uh, regulatory um, decisions that happen for, on the state and federal level, just for whatever reason, really did interest me, and um, hmm. and it was something I, yeah, like I, you know, I've enjoyed so
1: far. Cool. Yeah, it's good to hear. Um, yeah, I feel like I've never really heard you speak about that in depth, so that's cool for for me to hear as well. Um, yeah, just it's give good. me a
2: phone call, Kyle.
1: <laughs> um, it kind of it kind of sounds just like a massive complex puzzle problem um and uh-huh. yeah it seems like a difficult um thing but also interesting at the same time and so so right now you, you mentioned you've been working on the same team for four and a half years can you talk a little bit more about like what specifically you're doing for blue cross blue shield
2: yeah i'll, I'll try to simplify it the best way i can but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the strategy team at blue cross blue shield and when I say Blue Cross Blue Shield, first of all, I actually work for Healthcare Service Corporation, HCSC, which is a subsidiary of Blue Cross Blue Shield. So just a brief, brief uh, backstory on Blue Cross Blue Shield. A lot of the companies that have that Blue Cross Blue Shield name pay a licensee fee to the association, to the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association huh. for, um, yeah, so like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Tennessee. I don't work for Blue Cross Blue Shield Tennessee. That's a separate affiliation. So HCSC, which is the company I work for, pays uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association to use their um, that license. Um, and so HCSC is uh, the fifth largest healthcare payer um, right now in the, in the states, um, and we operate. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Illinois, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Texas, Montana, New Mexico, and Oklahoma, so five of them. And then Illinois and Texas are very populated, so they're, they're pretty big in-depth markets. Um, and it's interesting. You know, it, it's, it's great, and it's a great company, and uh, I've enjoyed it so far. The strategy component to what I do um, is – so there's, there's different ways that someone can obtain health insurance, right? You have Medicare, Medicaid. Um, And those are kind of like the government programs. Medicare being over 65, um, you become eligible to receive Medicare. You can always buy into it early. Medicaid, you have to be lower than uh, than, uh, the federal poverty level to receive Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have group insurance where if you receive it from your employer. And then you have retail. And that's where I, I kind of started. I've moved on to group a little bit, but um, retail, which is the individual market where someone is either self-employed um, or retired early and they're not 65, uh, whatever the case is, doesn't receive health insurance from their employer, very common. They can go to somewhere called the exchange and purchase individual health insurance plans. And that's the market I'm, um, you know, an expert in and most knowledgeable. Recently, within the last few months, I've kind of jumped on the group strategy, group insurance strategy for um, New Mexico, the state. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. And when I talk about, when I say strategy, it's, it's a broad term, right? But basically, we're planning two years in advance for what products we're going to bring into the market. So what are we in 2020 right now? We're doing our 2022 strategy. What vendor, what telehealth vendor do we want to look at and integrate with and bring to our members so they have better accessibility to care? Um, What is the trend of the retail market? Do we need to lower or raise deductibles? What are our competitors doing? What's the affordable price point for a premium? All these factors, product, you know, I work in product strategy. All these factors go into it, working with actuary, finance, sales, um, these different teams. So I, I've enjoyed the amount of interaction I've gone throughout HGSE by just being a, a part of this team.
1: Huh? Are you exposed to a lot of the math and the modeling involved with uh, it? or
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't um, do it. I, I don't. I am able to. You know, When we just talk about the math and modeling, I'm assuming you're talking about predictive um, utilization when it comes to healthcare um, yeah. and how we price out our plans, right? Yeah, so that's you know, yeah. actually – yeah, I mean, it's Actuary's job, and I never – I'm like, I'm not a day, data science. We have data science teams. So I'm usually the guy that is requesting the information rather than
1: doing the report. <laughs> that's um, that, that, that's I, where you I mean, want to be. That's where you want to be.
2: It is, you know, and I didn't start <laughs> – you know, I'm trying to be uh, brief. You know, high level as best as I can. Sure. And even though, so I work on the retail strategy team. I started in retail product, so I was doing a lot of this back end knowledge, um, this foundational type of health insurance knowledge that you really need before you go into strategy. So um, I was, you know, even though it's the same team, I say, you know, same department. I've kind of shifted around teams. Um, just to be able to, um, kind of have that background knowledge, you get those different experiences, but yeah, you know, I'm running around talking to execs and putting everyone's ideas together and their guiding principles and whatnot, and, and throwing something out on the market. Um, so yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I asked is just, I mean, in hearing your explanation and forecasting anything two years in advance with something as complex as insurance, mm-hmm. there must be so much intense mathematics and actuarial, uh, like involvement in it. So yeah, just why I wanted to ask. Um, Well, sweet man. So another thing is you're, you're currently getting your MBA. So I wanted to ask about that. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're one year into it. Right. And you have one year left.
2: Uh, I'm a little bit further down the road there. Uh, I'm like one and a half, maybe like one in like eight months. And uh, yeah, it's a 28 month program. So I graduate We're in August of 2020 right now, actually tomorrow, September, but August 2020 and I graduate uh, uh, March of 2021.
1: And how does that, and so you got it, you're doing that through your company, right? So how does it all work? How does it all play out? Are you taking classes at your literal office? Are you traveling somewhere for classes? How did it all play out?
2: I was... Yeah, I was, um, you know, before COVID. So that was one of the draws to the program. So I'm basically um, doing my MBA, like you said, through Blue Cross or through HCSC with DePaul. And what that entails is um, some tuition reduction from being part of the cohort, but all my classmates are employees of HCSC. And um, DePaul has, you know, has two professors you know two classes that we're taking each quarter that come to our office building and and do the classes so you know right at like 5 30 to 8 45 tuesdays and thursdays is when we had it uh when covet hit you know everything was done virtual we still had my classmates were still the same being at uh HCSC classmates but um You know, we just had to do it all virtually. And then the next two quarters, I get into my concentration, um, which will be with all, you know, the Paul grad students, the Paul MBA grad students. Um, And my concentration that I chose was or is, um, it's consulting and management is the concentration I chose. So I'm excited to get into these, like, you know, consulting and management classes. I only have four of them. They're more like abstract than the, um the prerequisite um, classes I was taking before that were like the micro macroeconomics, the financial managerial accounting, you know, those type of mm-hmm. classes I had to take for MBA.
1: So it's interesting. You mentioned that it's a positive them coming to your office to provide classes, but I, it could be a positive and a negative, right? I mean, totally. I think a, a huge benefit of an MBA is being exposed yep. to uh, other people and making yep. connections.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, it was it was a big decision um, when I decided to do it. I decided to move forward with it for financial purposes and also with the knowledge of, like, I could always just pull out and, um, you know, go somewhere else. I didn't need my GMAT to get into the program, um, me being someone that – actually, so I was studying for the GMAT a little bit, and I was like, this is going to be tough. I'm going to have to take two, three months, you know, every night um, doing this, which I was – you know, definitely willing to do. I wanted it, but the fact that I had this opportunity where I didn't have to do that definitely made it more enticing. Um, and then, you know, like you said, not getting that exposure to other. Uh, industries, other classmates that have other experiences rather than they're all just being employees at Uh was not something I loved at all. Definitely weighed in my mind. Uh, but the convenience factor of, you know, the reduced tuition cost and the um, accessibility of the classes uh, just outweighed it. So decided to move forward with it. I'm glad I did. Now I'm almost done. Uh, I think it was the right choice and but it's hard to see like it when all pay dividends you know it's just a credential it's just a uh, a, a degree that you know it's going to be hard for me to say you know when you know, when it actually it's going to pay off but it, it's still um it's still helpful even you know doing both working and and going to school simultaneously
1: yeah of course yeah i mean having an mba it's 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 not going to hurt that's for sure so yeah it's yeah. Yeah. um yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense in terms of the trade-off. Um, so what is your path forward? I, I don't know if there's like a specific outlined trajectory for somebody in your position that like gets an MBA and then comes back to the strategy team. Like what, what the next couple of years look like for you?
2: Um, yeah. So I, I've been blessed being at healthcare service corporation. They've treated me well with the promotions and, and salary um so the next step for me and where i think growth opportunities are and my career are really managing people and so that's where i want to get to Um uh, the strategy team at hgsc like i you know i've been on it for been on the product development team for four and a half years i'm very familiar with how things work and um and, uh, you know, the, the people above me as well. So they're aware of, you know, the, the drive I have. And, and um, you know, I for you to become in the, that management position, you kind of have to do managerial duties before you get there. So that could be like training people, growing, you know, your uh, people that you work with, things like knowledge transferring, you know, managerial skills before they just give you a manage, management job. Um and you never know, like I actually, uh, really before COVID, uh, I was thinking that if I, when I do get my MBA, I might leave HSC and, you know, get some additional experience in consulting. I have made a lot of contacts with consulting companies that might tell my Blue Cross, Uh, HCSC is considered like consultant city. We hire consultants left and right, you name them, every company um, to do projects for us, kind of that temporary work. And so I've just, you know, grown my, um, my, uh, uh, you know, networking um, and people I know in Chicago uh, from consulting companies. And definitely before having a family, always been kind of a path I've thought about, also getting that travel in uh, was something that enticed me or entices me. But, you know, with COVID it consulting, uh, has kind of taken a hit and it's, it's changed a little bit. And I think the traveling aspect of consulting is going to be diminished greatly. Um, and, mm. and that, that was kind of a draw. So mm. I don't know if that's still in, in the cards, but, uh, you know, definitely kind of have to see it, see how, how has, how well the dust settle? Um, when it comes to that.
1: Definitely. That's that's definitely a big industry that, like you said, is going to be impacted in terms of travel moving forward from COVID. I, I haven't thought about that yet. Um, and so in terms of that kind of managerial experience, I'm wondering like if you've had specific ex- experience with managing people. Um, I, I've actually had a few um, at my current job. Um, there, there's a few people, uh, I, I don't want to say under me, but people that I have to manage essentially mm-hmm. and, and look after. And it's it's a way different experience than I guess I anticipated. It's, it's completely different um, than anything else mm-hmm. I think I've done. Um, and it, it, it is a huge learning curve. Um, so have you, have you been exposed to that? Um, yeah. Have you worked with people under you yet?
2: I have. And, you know, I've read... Books just from even more of them being assigned with MBA but I feel like I've grown a lot in in that aspect you think about you know, successful managers it's really empathy is one being able to understand others and empathize with them communication huge uh, and then really being able to understand that everyone learns differently just because you know you're teaching someone one way doesn't mean that's the right way to do it and that a different person that you teach um it, you know is going to pick it up as quickly or whatever the case is so um yeah i, I have experience with data uh, i've i've done a couple of things at hgsc that have made me this me This me stands for subject matter expert i don't know how you know, widely known of a term that is, uh, but we use it at HDSP. It's me and um, for certain projects. So I, I often have had to train uh, others on projects if i were leaving them and things of that nature. Um, and I, I, you know, and do strategy that's specific to New Mexico. And I have a couple, a couple other people uh, uh, that are kind of specific to New Mexico that I kind of help, um, navigate the waters when it comes to doing analytical things so uh, I'm technically not their manager but you know I'm above them and I help them out with stuff so definitely definitely a, a good skill to have and I, I pride myself in networking. I work hard on it you know face to face you're constantly talking with people you dress them nice you're, you know um, you're just having small conversations and I think that's just a huge part of it being able to uh, be liked really just likability is huge
1: Massive, yeah, and and could be the biggest factor of, of them all. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and networking also super important. Um, I, I I love kind of watering my my field of friends and people that I just know, and I think through this podcast is actually has been a great way to do that, just to kind of like check in on people, and um, so so that's been cool. Um, but yeah, no, that's cool to hear. Uh, one of the things about managing that I've realized also is consistency in communication. Mm-hmm. So when there's like a problem that you're presented with and if if the outcome or the solution can kind of go either way, I've found that it's better instead of just to say, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like it, either way is okay. It's way better to just choose one side um, and stick with it. Rather than mm. kind of leave it up to in the hands of the other person. And that, that's kind of like a minor specific thing, but something that I've encountered recently that I think mm. um, kind of produces a, a stronger sense of confidence in the people you're working with if you just give a definitive answer. Um, and I, I, things like that um, confidence is super important. And also the realization that what you're saying now is going to be taken extremely uh, seriously in comparison to, and not that it wasn't taken seriously before, but the words you're saying now are going to have a much larger impact on people. um, And they're really going to be considering them. uh, I I think more heavily than otherwise, if you're just working alongside somebody. Um, So that's, uh, yeah, another thing to think about that I've thought about is just like the weight of your words. Um, But yeah, man, Uh, I wanted to get into questions about the, Health, like the broader healthcare system. Um, and so something, <laughs> I, I don't know too much, but I'll, I'll do my best in asking uh, questions that I'm interested in and I think other people would also be interested in. Um, but right now in general, like what are, would you say the biggest roadblocks to the healthcare system in terms of, you know, getting care to as many people as possible? What are kind of the main things holding back the, yeah, the the US system?
2: Oh, Kyle, it's here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we can go a lot of different directions. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you're, I'm always willing, I love healthcare. I really do. And, you know, I, I'm always willing to talk about it. When you talk about healthcare, right, it often be, can become political. Um, and so I think that's important to realize. Um, but uh, the lens I have on it, I think are a little, very factual because, <laughs> you know, I see it. Um, every day. So you're asking about really what the, like you said, the obstacles and the things that make the healthcare system inefficient. So the first that comes to mind is access, accessibility to care. And that can mean a couple of different things. So I, I mentioned briefly before the economic dependence on healthcare. So for someone needing to pay out-of-pocket costs to obtain services, uh, those out-of-pocket costs could be very large, and that would make, dissuade them for, for even trying to manage their condition or seeking health care services. Uh, so, and that, you know, operates very much as a free market in that sense, uh, which is that conservative point of view. You think about the um, other side of it, um, you would want everyone to kind of have access and for that not to be a barrier. So it's a mix. So I would say that accessibility, um, because of the economic dependence, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of is also called social determinants of health. um, And that can kind of be trickled into social determinants of health, which is basically people that live in poor territories, uh, poor areas, have worse health care. And it's harder for them to obtain health services, not just because of their income level, but because of uh, their, you know, it's almost like a food, you know, how we're familiar with food deserts and that supermarkets are, you know, sometimes not always available in certain areas. um, And that could kind of create a food desert. There's very much a thing like healthcare deserts. There's not enough PCPs Hmm. and, you know, downtown Chicago or, uh, so the south side of Chicago, um, you think about rural areas, you know, um, places like Montana and New Mexico that I work with every day where their big. Their needs are a lot different than Illinois and Texas, and mm-hmm. they're a rural type of state. So the how members, you know, interact with their PCP and how they go seek healthcare services is different. It's hard to travel 50 miles just because, you know, something looks funny on your arm. You know, is there enough mental health providers in that area? Um, So, you know, that kind of all boils up to the very different needs of states and how, you know, like in New York, is going to operate differently than a Montana New Mexico. Then you you know going back onto that affordability because we're instead of just being being the consumer's perspective on it being unaffordable, you talk about all the different players in healthcare. You talk about health insurance. We talk about the providers. You talk about pharmaceuticals, PBMs. Everyone's in there trying to make money, right? Now the providers are, and so are the health insurance companies. Uh, but at the same time, everyone's trying to. Make the healthcare system better um, and and more efficient. So it's been better in in the in the in past years with I think aca of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obam- Obamacare, that really um, changed the industry a lot um, and changed like reimbursement rates of providers. Um, and I think that that's like a, a good move in the right direction. But you know, in the past, from like eighties to like you know early two thousands. It was really bad just because we talk about fee-for-service. And fee-for-service basically means providers charging for a service that they you know perform or bill for. And that's not how healthcare should really work. That's how other um, economies work, other industries and, and their um, economy work. But when you think about healthcare, so providers are going to try to bill as much as they can to get as much revenue as they can. So then it's a struggle with the health insurance company of like the inefficiency of like, you can't be charging, you know, a hundred dollars for a flu vaccine. Um, when, you know, it really only costs you $2. Um, and so there's like give and take there. So the, I mean, there's so many different ways you could talk about the inefficiencies of healthcare, but you know, I'm definitely, uh, I've seen a lot of improvements, uh, you know just within the last four and a half years i think it's got a lot of scrutiny you know it's constantly talked about at that uh, federal level too um so a lot of, a lot of like i was mentioning earlier, volatility a lot of changes coming and happening
1: yeah i mean it's it's almost rough to listen to that is how the structure of the healthcare system is what it's composed of i mean it's, it's obvious that it is right especially for the us like that the providers are incentivized to make as much revenue as possible, but it's just awful that that's the way it is. Like, I, I don't know. It's
2: changing. I just, yeah. We yeah. can talk about that. That's not, that's not going to be the future of healthcare. It's going to be fee for value. So I was mentioning fee for service, you know, providers pay for um, the services they perform fee for value is basically providers getting paid by the health insurance company or by the government. Um, by how many members they have like per month, for example, or, you know, how many members are anticipated to utilize um, their health practice from Blue Cross Blue Shield Texas, then, you know, each member, it costs $20, so it's fee for value. So it's a, so you tra- transfer the risk onto the provider instead of the health insu- the payer, the health insurance company, and the consumer,
0: mm.
2: the, you know, the government, you transfer the risk and, and you want them to kind of provide better care and make them more efficient. I think going back to fee for service, you know those rehospitalization rates, those readmissions. Hospitals are getting more money if they're inefficient. Right, um, right. Yeah, so that's why it, it needs to change, and it, it is. Um, and I'm not, I'm you know, I'm not coming at this from like a health insurance perspective. Trust me, I think health group health insurance is. A hugely part of the, the inefficiencies and the demise, not the demise, but like, you know, the wrongdoings of healthcare, the fact that it, health insurance is tied to employment is, is not really uh, a great way to go about it, in my perspective. But, um, you know, the providers, you know, they're trying to do as much as they can, but they're also just trying to maximize revenue, especially those health systems, you know, a lot of provider groups are kind of part of large corporations that they're not called corporations but they're money-making machines like Kaiser and, and cleveland Clinic, those are just like um, conglomerates that have a lot of power
1: yeah yeah man the the idea that providers are rewarded for being inefficient in relation to healthcare is just uh, it sucks <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, it, yeah um Hmm. I, I I think back to myself, and I remember I had shoulder surgery a while, like I don't know, five years ago, right? And mm-hmm. I was kind of on the fence of getting it, and I remember the doctor also being on the fence, but he was pushing me towards getting it. He he wanted me to get right. it, and then right. um, I did. And then about a year later, I had my other shoulder that I needed surgery on or the doctor told me I needed surgery on at least, but I didn't do it. And I went with just physical therapy because I figured why not? I'll give it a shot and just see if I can recuperate on my own. And to this day, the shoulder that did not get surgery performed on is much better. It's it's 100% my shoulder that did not have surgery. And the shoulder that I did have surgery is probably about 85%. And I mean, that was five years ago, so I don't anticipate it ever getting back to 100%, but I just think back, like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a result or a product of just wrong uh, incentivization scheme, right? Because like the 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 doctor, I mean, he wants to perform surgery. I mean, how many thousands of dollars is the yeah. hospital getting for performing like that optional, so to speak, surgery, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, if it, if it is a half and half throw up situation where it's like, yeah, maybe this person can get shoulder surgery, maybe they don't need it, likely the doctor's gonna say yeah maybe you should get it you know and just that yeah. little push i i yeah i feel like is something that happened to myself and i'm paying the price with my uh chronically injured shoulder
2: yeah yeah that's unfortunate um i mean just going to like a chiropractor i went to a chiropractor like a year ago the guy kept on wanting me to come back in i'm like no i just need you to crack my back like <laughs> i'm okay we don't need to make this a weekly thing yeah. um and <laughs> i mean it's it's a and but the thing with providers too is people trust and which they totally should they're doctors, they're smart people I
0: don't
2: trust um, them. yeah, <laughs> I mean they're smart people, but you know it's just like who are you going to trust your health insurance company or your providers and the health insurance companies are made out of such the bad guys um. Which is, you know, for good reason sometimes. But when you think about it, health insurance companies want you to be healthy. We're thinking of all the way because, you know, that will raise Save our bottom money. line.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, now raise our bottom line, and and we con- like that's what I do is I constantly look at how we can help our diabetic population within the retail market. You know, how we can these high risk type of conditions, how we can better serve them. Because it's going to help us if you know they make less trips to the emergency room to urgent care, you mm. know. Um, so think of it that way. And then that's when when I joined the HCSC, like I didn't realize that. I'm like we totally make out better if our if our members are healthy. And so you'll see a lot of initiatives um, when it comes to like innovation in healthcare are really driven by health insurance companies a lot. Talk about the wave of telehealth. I like could go on and on about it. Um, you know, that's that's really insurance companies helping the providers and making sure they have that telehealth capability. Um, and, and, they, and they are able to kind of provide members care in, in times of a pandemic.
1: That's cool. That's something I haven't really thought about, right? Like the role and the incentives for the health care insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting, right? Like the provider would be incentivized maybe to be inefficient and then the healthcare, uh, the, the insurance provider would be incentivized for people to be healthy. Um, yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think one of the things, I mean, I studied economics back in university and I, I think one of the things that it, understanding economics provides you with is incentive structures behind different uh, companies and also industries. And I, I really think that it is kind of the guiding principle in terms of the direction that different parts um, of uh, any industry kind of move in like the direction that they move towards and if you change up the incentive structure you can fix a lot of the problems um Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: so i i want to ask um we spoke you you spoke a little bit about uh, a few of the changes that happen in the healthcare system and currently uh we have covid going on so i'm sure that there's a bunch of changes that has happened as a result of that um from i guess a Onlooker's perspective, as myself, and kind of maybe surface level, the the, the initial things that you'd would think would change are um, the the prices of healthcare going up because way more people wanting healthcare. I mean, I've even thought about <laughs> Man, maybe I should get healthcare, and then also the amount of people that are actually using healthcare in terms of seeking care for COVID. Um, so I, I imagine prices are going up pretty drastically. Yeah. Is that is that correct?
2: You are wrong, my friend. Okay, <laughs> my my brother. Yeah, you are you are wrong on that. And and it's interesting, you know. Um, I, I gotta start asking you questions. I feel like I'm just blabbering on here. Um, yeah, well, and even I, though I do work at, in healthcare, you know, I, I'm also I just want to preface it, but like I'm not an expert to everything that's going on. Sure. But I I, I will say. um we were talking about those rural providers and how their dependencies on fee for service. So what's happening, Kyle, is people in States like Montana, Wyoming, where they're it's rural, you know, they're not getting hit heavily by COVID, you know, like a Florida, New York, um, you know, Washington, a lot of States aren't getting hit hard by COVID and I, I'm, well, I'm not trying to minimize, you know, what COVID is, but like, as far as it actually overflowing the healthcare system that's only happening in certain areas. And so the areas, and especially at first, the first couple of months where people were, you know, starting to freak out, people weren't going in for services for, you know, daily routine checkups for, you know, those type of um, surgeries, those outpatient surgeries that they had scheduled because they were afraid of COVID going into a hospital setting, going Mm. into, going in anywhere. So a lot of provider groups were not doing well for the first three, four months um, because people just weren't coming in. And they, and, you know, in some circumstances had to shut down because of the, the, you know, the regulations, the temporary regulations placed on them by the, their state. Um, and so that that hurt um, the healthcare industry because providers were losing money. Mm. Now health insurance companies, you know, made money, made profit um, for the first three months, because you know when you think of it in a glass bottle, it's like, oh, this is a this is a virus. People are going to the hospital for it, but it's not so widespread of a virus, and um, that, and also like the fact that it was you known, people just didn't know what was going on. That it really was. Uh, it was just overflowing every area of the healthcare system. So just certain areas. Um, so health insurance company companies in the short run, you know, they they uh, uh, are making more profit than they anticipated. Um, but you know now it's actually kind of stabilized and its its rates um, are kind of back to where they were uh, before. And you mentioned how or prices going up or are they going down. That's, that's not how it works. Um, mm. It's usually a set fee. Um, when it comes to, you know, PCP, for example, giving a, um, or maybe like a, a physical therapy providing physical therapist, providing a physical therapy session. Um, you know, he charges a site rate of $95. It's not, it's not going to fluctuate. Um, cause it's negotiated with the health insurance company and the payer. Um, so it's not really based off of like you know what the market price is um, all the time. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it, <laughs> you could think it. It kind of is based off of the market price when you're like, "What are competitors doing? What, what's that other speech therapy doing? How much are you charging them?" So, like, one of the intricacies we're talking about with healthcare is that aspect, but it's, it's usually just like a set fee. It,
1: it it sounds like the the market influences maybe. Have a little bit of a delayed impact on the pricing, right? Like, let's say coronavirus stayed mm-hmm. the way it was for the next five years. Eventually, prices are going to change. Like, the future products that you're strategizing with your team it sure. is, it would fundamentally change. Yeah. So it, so it sounds like maybe there's like a delayed effect of that supply and demand in healthcare. It, that's kind of the way I'm yeah. thinking of it. Um, all right. Well, I, I want to quickly ask just the last couple things about healthcare that I'm pretty interested okay. in. Um, and I know I, this might not be like your exact domain, but you probably have more knowledge on it than I do. And so in the theme of coronavirus, um, and a coronavirus vaccine, I'm re- I'm really curious in mm-hmm. how it would be just distributed, right? So let's say Russia, it seems like I, I guess they came out with a vaccine. Um, how, does, how does something like that work? Is it now like Russian almost intellectual property and then like U S companies can produce it, but pay like royalties to Russia or can only Russian companies produce a vaccine? Like what does the global supply and demand of a vaccine look like when a certain country comes up with it?
2: Yeah, that, that, that is an interesting question. I definitely don't have the greatest answers. I will say um, that, you know, the United States Pfizer uh, you know, Eli Lilly, all these different pharmaceutical companies, um, just because Russia has said they've come up with the vaccine, it doesn't preclude them to continue their research and creating their own. Now, I think the way that patents work mm. um, is something that's going to, you know, how that's talked about. So, this is where we talk about if I were to work in the pharmaceutical company, I'd have more knowledge. Um, When when it comes to this, but, you know, if Russia does come up with the formula for a vaccine, um, do they, you know, do they sell off this formula to uh, a Eli Lilly or, you know, an American based company to get it patented? Or do they automatically have this worldwide patent? So that aspect is the first thing I will say. And also, from what I've heard about COVID is that it's mutated, right? You know, is one vaccine Going to do the trick. You need it twice. Uh, I saw that this morning. You know, yeah. you might need a vaccine twice. Who gets the vaccines right away? Yeah. Um, how 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 easy is it is it to produce? How much is it going to cost? Health insurance? Uh, all, all those are going to be yet to be seen. Um, and it's unfortunate. The way I would think about it is the people that need it the most. Um, So like the higher risk population. Well, first of all, you need to make sure that this vaccine doesn't have any side effects. You know, it doesn't sound like the Russia one was completely vetted out and gone through the normal processes. Like um, some of these uh, FDA uh, pharmaceutical companies are forcing their researchers to go through um, their pipeline to work. And so it's it's interesting to see um or you know to find out what happens it's unfortunate how unprepared <laughs> the united states was and the rest of the world um when it comes to this but you know luckily and i can't say this about too many aspects of covid but luckily it's not as deadly as originally anticipated. Um, and hopefully we can get better as a society and a community, um, to prepare for the next pandemic. Cause this is something that's definitely not going away uh, in the sense that like we'll never get a, a different virus again. It'll, it'll definitely happen. So hopefully the governments and the healthcare system just, you know, get better as a result of this, but it's, it doesn't seem like there's a, you know, a, a, an easy answer you know, it's going to have to work through and this kind of ambiguity we've lived in the last four or five months is going to continue for the next year or so.
1: Sure, yeah. And I want to circle back to something you said at the beginning and that, like, you would hope that the people in most need would receive the vaccine, right? Like, ideally, that's how it would play out. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess we'll see if it actually does. Um, but I, <laughs> if I had to guess, I don't think that would would be how it plays out just because that means that somebody else has to be paying for it and it's always a struggle Mm -hmm. like for example I was um Bill Gates has had so much like he's been putting out a lot of content in terms of videos and writings and everything with uh coronavirus I think that he's really involved in like epidemiology and um disease and so something that he mentioned was that if there is a vaccine produced it would cost about 14 billion dollars for Richer countries to essentially vaccinate all the people in mm. um, lower income and in de- un- underdeveloped countries, and on the scheme of things, that's I'm sure it's a lot of money, but not really that much money. It's it's an attainable amount of money on the global scale, yeah. w- without a doubt, and um, especially for the U.S. Especially for the U.S., the U.S. could do it in in, in a second, and and that would that would fundamentally vaccinate the entire. Um, population and but, but we countries.
2: don't like the kyle we call, we don't like free handouts i mean come no on.
1: of course of course i'm and, just kidding
2: i'm just kidding that was a joke i mean that's that's like a republican viewpoint of like why are we just giving why is the government just giving a vaccine to all the poor people it's, well
1: yeah i mean one side would say it would say that you know we don't like free handouts one side would say that we're giving out way too many so who's yeah it, it's the same problem from two perspectives
2: Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I say that about so many things when we talk about politics, right and left. It's just like, you know, there's a balance to it. You know, it's extreme on either side is wrong. You know, it's not like all the democratic philosophies and ideas are correct. You know, there's a way for it to be tilted too much on one side and and definitely the other way as well on, on the right. So.
1: Okay, so at this point, the call got disconnected, and rather than try to jump back into the previous conversation, we use this opportunity to transition into the second half of the podcast, and so for this segment, Zach's girlfriend joins us, Annie, for about the first 20 or so minutes, so let's jump back into it. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Annie. What's up? How's everything going?
3: Good.
1: How do, we, how do I sound? Uh, you sound good. Yeah, it sounds all right.
3: We got a dog.
1: I was going to ask. Wait, so, I, Annie, honestly, jump in, jump into the podcast if you'd like. I was about to start yes. asking Zach about That's not uh, bad- the dog and, and your guys' new place.
2: Any <laughs> man who knows a damn thing, he no, knows no, not no, a damn no, no, thing
1: no, at no. all. Oh, my gosh. All right. You always to open it like that? Wait. So instead of me, having a function, I just sing? Tell me, tell me about this dog. How did that? Where did that come from? How did you? So, did, yeah. I
3: was begging Zach to let me get a dog for a long time, like probably since we moved in. We've been talking about it, and then like a month ago I started applying to like so many shelters and so many rescues for one but like everyone's adopting dogs right now you know so it's like honestly competitive and then finally like this one rescue group like actually contacted me back and they were like we like have a dog like that you can meet and if you like him you can like bring him home but we're in like rural Illinois so we had to drive like three hours to meet him and then we brought him home
1: (laughs) So, wow! Yeah, what kind of what kind of dog is he?
3: He's just a, They don't even really know. He's a, he's a terrier mix, so different maybe types of terriers. Like I think he has some rat terrier and maybe some chihuahua.
1: Wow! Yeah, he looks he looked amazing on the photos. He looks so cute. Is he is he gonna get bigger? Like what no, is he he, say that, is size? that size?
3: He's only twenty pounds.
1: And and he's gonna stay twenty pounds. Yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. He's wow. really nice, but he just has trauma in his past, so he doesn't, like, he takes a little bit to trust new people. Mm. So he doesn't like, like, strangers petting him and stuff, which can be hard when we have friends over.
1: I was going to ask about that. Has he warmed up to you guys already?
3: Cause yeah. Because it's only been
1: about yeah. two weeks.
3: He loves, he's like, yeah. he's so attached. And Zach picks up, he lets Zach pick him huh. up with like a
1: baby. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was living with a few dogs here in Vietnam like for a oh, month and a half, and I they did not warm up to me for the entire month and a half, so some really? dogs are just more. Yeah, oh, yeah, Zach, I, are we doing the podcast right now? Yeah, man, we could add this into the podcast. Zach, no,
3: <laughs> Wait, but Zach is still like a little bit like apprehensive about having a dog, so maybe. <laughs> Give him, like, a boost in the right direction.
2: How do they taste that? He
3: kind of oh starts to, like, he kind of, in my opinion, will focus on, like, the negatives of Rocco. <laughs> I kind oh, of, of Rocco is his name. Yeah, his name is Rocco. He focuses wow. on the opportunities of improvement, and I kind of only focus on, like, the ways that he's
2: perfect.
1: <laughs> so. that, what are the main concerns here, Zach? What's your... <laughs>
2: Well, it kind of, you know, Annie touched on about how he just needs to warm up to people, and you know, I don't want him to uh, kind of be a barrier to us seeing people, where we have to, Cause you consider, love to see people. Well, so oh, I just don't <laughs> Well, when I do, it's just like <laughs> I don't want the dog to be an issue, and then he just needs to be trained to, in the sense of like just the obedience and and walking.
3: And he doesn't like it when he barks.
2: Yeah. Well. He just barks when people. Yeah.
1: Thanks. How How old is he? Two he's and two. a half. Ah, okay. So he's not, not a puppy anymore.
3: No, not yeah. a puppy. So he's broken. Yeah, he's... he doesn't pee in the house.
1: Yeah, he I mean, doesn't got, pee in the house.
3: We no, got him. We
2: got him from downtown Illinois. We think he was just running around and something. But he is housebroken,
3: and he likes baths. He likes to take a bath.
1: Wow, that's good. I feel like a lot of dogs hate Bess.
3: That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a special guy. Yeah, he, he must be he pretty chill. Us. I think it's special that he doesn't like other people. He only likes. Them. He feels so like appreciated.
2: Because yeah, I wasn't giving her enough attention. So. <laughs> I was,
3: yeah, I did a like, new friend. Cause Zach has been playing so many <laughs> video games.
1: Yeah, I've been fucking on that war zone train. Oh man, I haven't I haven't played that yet, and I'm so bummed out because of it. Uh, I've I've never missed like a video game era that big. I feel like. Oh, my God. But, uh, um, wait, but I want to ask about your guys. You uh, man, just... I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep all of this in the podcast if that's all right. No reason not to. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Um... Yeah. All right. So, hey, welcome back, everyone.
3: Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you follow your creative. Yeah.
1: Business. Well, I guess we're. We'll wait. Stop what were from. you gonna ask? Well, just about the new apartment. Like, how's that going? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: So the new apartment's great. Um, we moved in May 1st. Um, it's, you know, two-bedroom, two-bath. Um, we have a great master bed that we sleep in. And then, <laughs> you know, it's as, as a a, closets. Yes, a roof and a balcony. We have a roof and a balcony. And then... Um, the guest room, um, you know, I kind of work at it since I'm working remote with uh, Blue Cross right now, and um, so, so it's, like it's an nice. Office. Yeah, and then it's a nice mm-hmm. big space. I mean, it, we made the investment for sure um, with renting the place and and going through with it. But when this we was first
3: when we first were looking at it, sorry to interrupt you. I was just gonna say when we first were looking at it and like toured it and everything, and before we moved in. Zach was like really not impressed with it like he was like he couldn't see like, the vision and like he was a little like worried that it wasn't gonna be as nice but then like once he basically let me have like free reign with the like interior design of it and then once everything was like put together now he like really likes it
1: feels better there you go yeah Awesome. Yeah. You, where where are you guys like what neighborhood? We're, we're in Chicago. It's like right
2: <laughs> in the middle of the United States. Shut up. Um, <laughs> um, we're, we're in li- a place called Lincoln Park. Um, oh, that's where you've been, right? Like, yeah, you know, I've actually technically been in Lakeview, but now, last year. yeah, last year I was in Lincoln Park too. My first two, two, three years, I was in Lakeview, which is just like a few streets above Lincoln Park. But Lincoln Park's the happening area of Chicago. The um, Paul is basically right around
1: the corner. Hmm. And, yeah, it's
3: great. Uh, coming back to america
2: great great question
1: yeah that's uh i get that a lot i i'm not sure i really have no idea i feel like every day i kind of have a different perspective on what i'm thinking so i i i, I don't have a solid answer for you
3: what's the most recent
1: thought? Uh, ooh, to be honest <laughs> my parents are not going to want to hear this but i i realized that um My current contract period ends in June of 2021, so about 10 months from now. And I work for a company in China. And I realized that when that contract period is up, it's likely going to be the last time, at least in this section of my life, that I'll be living and spending time in Asia just because I want to move on and explore other areas within the world. And so that means if I go back to the U.S., now i will basically be giving up on the whole asia thing so wow. yeah um yeah because yeah because if i go back to the u.s i can't come back before june right because borders oh um, shit
3: do you ever feel so,
1: what's that do
3: you ever feel lonely
1: no no i got i got people here friends <laughs>
3: what about that girl you
1: were seeing are you guys <laughs> no we we split up actually but we're we're still good friends she's yeah oh my um,
3: god wow yeah Stay friends <laughs> so impressive
1: i'm i'm always a proponent of that i've I've been successful oh. with it in my past and i want to keep that wow. record strong it's i think it's important oh, you
3: no know, that's really cool
1: yeah yeah it's it's tough but it's important but yeah i mean i got my people here and then are I, you I, sad
3: you're not dating her anymore
1: Uh, a little bit of both, I guess. I mean, I'm excited for my freedom again, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but no, I have, since I work online, you know, I'm communicating with people through that. And then like this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of people. And then I also have just friends here that I've made. So, um, yeah, yeah, things are all well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Wait, but so new apartment. Um, When did you guys? When did you guys move in? Was this before Corona or during Corona? May first, during during Corona. Yeah, we signed the lease before, right before. before. Well, yeah, like when, right
2: before we knew it was going to be a thing. Day before what?
3: Like the day before, I think quarantine actually really became a thing in Chicago. It was was Patrick's Day weekend, and that was like the last time we went out for like months like
1: it was like that week after that that everything started closing yeah well so the reason i asked like did you guys get a really reduced rate on the on rent
2: no we no
1: i mean it was pretty standard we but i'm just
2: i'm glad we made the investment we did you know our first place being a two bed two bath right in the you know prime of lincoln park our own rooftop our own balcony things like that that all come with this place um I'm glad we did that because mm-hmm. I didn't know I was going to be spending so much time here right. <laughs> and, you know, force of quarantine, you know, it's, I'm glad I made the investment into, yeah into this nice little place.
3: And then like, after we like toured the place, like that weekend that we signed it, like all of the apartment tours were like starting to get canceled. Like you couldn't even like tour apartments that you were going to apply for or like rent out because no yeah. one could like go into people's because it was like so that was like also we were happy that we just like got it all figured out before everything hit the fan. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it for sure. Um what have you guys what have you guys been doing mostly to take up your time during COVID, Isaac? I know you mentioned video games and then also a lot of work. Um <laughs> that's about <it>. but <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Annie?
3: I don't know.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, I like to say that it's been a lot of self care, <laughs> but, but in reality, I think a lot of people are depressed. And you're and, and it, it, different from <laughs> the first hour of this podcast. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sorry. No, it's I'm sorry. No, no, I love it.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah.
2: thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, oh. I the
3: host.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, I just feel like there's a weird vibe, you know, yeah. with everything that's going on. And um, I, when quarantine started, I was like, I'm going to use this to, you know, get back in shape. I'm going to read and, you know, enlighten yeah. myself on a lot of different subjects. It, I don't know. Maybe it's something in the water or maybe it's something on the TV with the news. Uh I just people like I don't have that attitude.
3: It's hard to like, yeah.
2: yeah. And it's not like I don't have hope for the future. It's more of like I'm just <laughs> in the moment of like, oh yeah, I'll go to work and I'll work hard and, you know, I'll do my school. and uh, But I'll enjoy myself and play video games and kind of
3: and yeah. do things
2: like that. And, and it's not it's not too exciting. Um, we've seen people, though. Yeah. I've been cautious, but we, we've seen people.
3: We've hosted people a couple yeah. times. I'm like nannying right now also. Oh, cool. I am working like three days a week and then I'm in school. So I'm still doing school. And then I feel like I go on like a lot of walks. Like I've been, especially since we got this dog, but even beforehand, like mm-hmm. I feel like walking has been such a huge part of like making me feel at least like a person every day, even if like everything else is so strange, but I'm wanting to start doing more art <laughs> like at night or something just like any type of like therapeutic art
1: for sure well, hey, about the the walk thing yeah I've been going on walks a lot as well and I realized um it is it's like one of the highlights of my day which is pretty funny and I I've noticed that it's I'm able to like think way more yeah, like totally. when I'm walking like when I'm just kind of sitting down yeah I mean I'm not really doing much but yeah. I don't know for whatever reason when you're like doing some kind of other mundane activity yeah. like walking. It's brain going.
3: I know. I think it's actually, like, you know, anatomical, that, like, your blood is just, like, flowing to your brain easier mm-hmm. when you're up and, like, moving a little bit. Like, it's just so good for your whole being.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's good. It's healthy. And
3: even, yeah, we also, we, like, I've been gardening. Like, we have so much outdoor space. Yeah. So I oh, really want cool. to like, Yeah. So one of my makers, yeah. like – moving into this apartment because of the outdoor space was like i want to take advantage of it i really want to garden so like early on that was kind of like my main like hobby that i was doing during quarantine but we're we have like a couple of like really huge basil plants that like are like huge now because we keep pruning them for like we make pesto like homemade pesto a lot and then basil like the more you prune it like the quicker it grows and the bigger it grows and then we have a really nice mint plant and lavender. And I was growing thyme, but it's starting to die, and I'm just kind of getting sick of it. So I'm sick of trying to keep it alive. And we have rosemary, and we have, like, flowers on the roof, and I have, like, you know, just, like, plants all around our house now. So we've Damn, just
1: expanded yeah,
3: awesome. we our green thumb.
1: I'm, I'm jealous. I was thinking, like, if I was home – during this time, one of the things I definitely would have done was started to plant. So that's cool that yeah, started that. yeah and we started
3: pole beans too.
0: Pole beans, that's
3: like vegetable. Yeah, my mom said like we're like we're because like so pole beans like grow up. They like um, wind around a trellis usually. So we just like our balcony has like you know like a little railing with like kind of like a fence and so the pole beans are like climbing up the balcony as like their cellist so it looks kind of cool but it hasn't produced any beans yet so stay tuned
1: yeah yeah I mean growing your own food is so satisfying I was living here with a garden also like a few months ago actually the same place with those dogs um and it was yeah it was fun being able to like just pick from the garden and eat Um, yeah but tough Really tough. Oh, yeah. when
2: when the rebellion starts, you know, we were thinking of just getting our own piece of land and just living.
3: Yeah, we want to live off the land. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we want to mm-hmm. live in. So you're lives. always you're always welcome to help us grow food.
3: Yeah, Kyle, you should come <laughs> live off the grid with
1: us. Uh, I'm, da- I'm I'm super down. That's like my goal. That's what I want to be doing. That's, Let's yeah. do it, I, Jake Millett. Too. Upstate, yeah. upstate New York. What's the uh, uh, Wyoming, Oregon, or Vermont?
3: Wait, yeah. That's I don't know. Have
1: <laughs> I, I like so my we, we
2: haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there, yet. We're still in
3: the dream phase.
2: So Kyle, like, I got a list of questions. Kyle, for you. can you
3: ever picture Zach actually working or living like <laughs> off the grid like that?
1: Um, I don't know. I I, I feel like I haven't uh mate. Yeah, I feel like we haven't really interacted too much in the last oh, few years. I don't know. You. No, I can't imagine. I, I I think you could pull it off. I, you
3: know, yeah. I think in his heart of hearts he would be happier. He just like is ingrained in this. Well,
2: how are we going? What's Where's the nearest PCP going to be if we need? If we fall down and injure ourselves, oh, can't be in a it?
3: You never go to the doctor,
2: anymore. Well, I was making a joke about from the earlier version of this podcast. I'm talking about healthcare. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, we could cut that.
1: Well, up. living. <laughs> living off the grid there's this guy who always talks about like rewilding your life which is something i'm super into like getting back to like the natural way of doing things so like calisthenics whole foods yeah one of the things he does is like he doesn't wear shoes like anywhere yeah so i don't i don't wear shoes uh a lot
3: that's so good for you like to walk around in the dirt and stuff it's supposed to be so good for like your like whole body
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I haven't worn work. shoes in, in a few months, actually. Oh, I just wear, like, occasionally wear flip-flops.
3: Kyle, that is so cool. I'll send
1: you some Nike. I wish I had a
3: yard <laughs> and not the yes city <laughs> ground.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's nice. And I'm also – I want to get rid of the couch in my apartment and just – sit on the floor because this guy talks a lot about he has no furniture in his house and the only floor sits yeah, for, like, not, eating and doing not, everything.
3: i mean that's pretty cool <laughs> no, I, they say like humans also used to squat way more like that was like a like a really like human's legs were way stronger they would squat all the time and that's why like when women give birth like squatting is actually supposed to be like the best position and like the least painful and like but because we don't squat enough like like you're not strong enough to do that usually when you like.
1: Well, that's yeah. Have you heard of like the Asian squat, which is basically just yeah. like you're like Asian Asian squat all the time. Like it's mm-hmm. it's something that people in the West don't do, but other countries actually do it true. a lot. Like it's you basically go on like your uh, like the heels of your feet and just like squat down so your butt is like resting on the heels of your feet. And people will like I, I do it all the time. So it's kind of yeah. part of the culture. Here. Like you just sit down you you squat and drink or smoke and you also like that's also just how you poop yeah. back in the day too because and so it's supposed to be better to totally. poop that way as well <laughs> but yeah yeah the asian squat it, it's it's initially rough on yeah. the legs like you take some getting used to but i could probably wait do so like what like what
3: minutes, instances like would you squat <laughs> like and like i mean you like you like smoke and like in like i just like I can't, like i'm trying to
1: yeah I don't know. Just when you're hanging out so outside, so cool. Everyone like just takes Anywhere, it's just at the beach. Yeah, yeah. You just take a squat. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> take a squat. Yeah. I
3: want to start. I wish my legs
2: yeah. were stronger. Um, Kyle, I got a list of questions for start you. Start doing it. Um, that you know, I know you have some other topics for me, sure. but I want to make sure I get some topics on you here.
1: Get them in. Yeah, let's do it.
2: All right. What country are you in?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm currently in Vietnam at the moment. I live in a city called Da Nang. It's in, in central Vietnam, uh, right right below where the DMZ was in the in the U.S. Oh, Vietnam War.
2: Interesting. Can, is there like a, something yeah. there that you could go back and, and check that out? Like some kind of memorial?
0: Check that.
1: Oh man yeah there, I mean, there's that type of stuff all over the country, um more so in the South, so like more southern where I am right now, just because that's where most uh-huh. of the fighting took place, um but between i mean those like those man caves uh that they were digging out, and then also you you remember the Tet offensive you probably like remember that name from school uh,
2: not offhand
1: or or maybe not okay, yeah, so I think it was like nineteen sixty nine where it was just like a massive uh, basically like offensive play by the Vietnamese. Um, and a, it was a, a big turning point in the war, but the main thing that they did was attack this, uh, us air force base called Quezon, which is a few hours north of me. And I got to, I went there and got to see it. And yeah. that was awesome. Like it was incredible to see the bunkers and all the, the old airplanes and, and, uh, tanks and stuff um that was super cool so yeah there's a lot of that stuff favorite favorite food in, has to be in
3: vietnam
1: you... okay annie's got a question i
3: right. just was wondering have you ever okay. heard of Tick not han he's a vietnamese monk
1: i feel like i have heard of him but i i'm not too he's familiar like a
3: that. he's yeah. honestly he's like really cool if you're if you're ever like wanting to like he has so many books and he um he Well, he he's, like, Vietnamese, but he was kicked out of Vietnam during the Vietnam War because he was, like, openly mm. opposed to it and, like, had a big following. But he's, like, all about peace. And, like, he has a really good book about, like, it's kind of like an intro to mindfulness and stuff called Peace is Every Step. But he's really cool.
1: Do you know where he lives? Now, now he
3: lives in France, I'm pretty sure. But he lived in the U.S. for a while, too. Yeah, mm. I think he has cool. like a, com- yeah. like he has like a you know like monk community now in France. That's like,
1: mm. So. Mm. yeah. There's a lot of those characters in like Asian society. Like just a few like defectors yeah. from like China and Vietnam. That yeah are kind of starting to so speak out. out. Yeah, and in, then they
3: uh, the word. Like now they're in like other countries. Like,
1: yeah, foods. yeah. They have mm-hmm. to play. Sorry,
3: Jack, you can play. Yeah.
1: What's your favorite food? Favorite food. Um, ooh, it's a tough one, man. Um, there's this thing called Wong, which is basically a type of noodles. Uh, those are pretty delicious. I, I also, banh mi, can't go wrong. Um, yeah, we, the spring rolls. They eat spring rolls a lot here, so just like rice paper with a bunch of vegetables. I actually don't eat meat anymore, so um, there's a lot of the meat dishes I don't What, like. you,
2: um, what happened, Kyle? Yeah
1: uh well so this is something I get into actually in the previous podcast but I uh I'll I'll talk briefly about it for a second um I went on like a road trip up to the north for like a month and a half and I was in the backcountry of Vietnam and basically just saw the way that they treated all the animals and the things that they were doing and it was it was one just like repulsive um and then also two uh I realized like I would never be doing any of that stuff like I'm not just gonna kill a pig and like skin it and eat it and I just felt like if I'm not willing to actually do what is meant to be done with your meat, then, like, I shouldn't also sure, be eating it. Um, so it's a combination of those two. What yeah, about yeah, fish? Yeah. No, no, no. Same thing with – yeah, man, I'm not going to kill a fish. Like, would you kill – like, I just – yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't do it, so I just don't want to be eating it. Like, I just feel like it's not – It's like
2: No, yeah, no, I live with a vegetarian, so it's all – Oh, good, here. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite thing to do in Vietnam?
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, on uh pick up basketball game? Uh, no, no, I haven't played basketball here. In the Philippines, yeah. I play a bunch of basketball, but not, not in Vietnam. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like a ring right. sport in the Philippines. <laughs> um, but Vietnam, favorite thing to do? I mean, I go. I go to the beach, man. I pretty oh, much yeah. live at the beach. I'm a, I'm a beach bum. Yeah. Either? I mean, right now we're in lockdown, so the beach is closed. But um, in normal times, I go. Good what, Wi-Fi
2: at the beach? <laughs>
1: uh, oh, <okay>. No. <laughs> totally. um, but yeah, I don't know. The beach. I, I work out a lot. The gym yeah. here is good. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm always kind of like each month is really mm-hmm. different for me. Um, so it's like. June and half of July, like I was on that road trip, right? So, you know, obviously what I was doing during that month is pretty different. And then the last like month I've been in quarantine and lockdown in my apartment. So, yeah, it's also different.
2: Okay. Yeah. Who is the friend that has reached out to you the most from the US?
1: Hmm. Uh, good question. I, um, no, no. You, I actually, no names. Uh, huh? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I I keep in contact with a lot of my friends from the U.S. and also just in other places in the oh, world. Good. Um, just because I, yeah, I think it's super important to keep up to date with people. Um, so it's hard to say, like, who takes the trophy. Um, but there's there's probably, like, four or five people that I'm in, like, pretty regular communication with that are in the U.S.
2: Oh, that's good. What about the family member who's reached out to you the most?
1: Um, I talk to I talk to mom and dad by far the most. I talk to them once a week. Every since I started traveling abroad, I talk to them every Sunday. And then, um, and then Jake will call me. I'll I'll call Leanne, um, yeah, sometimes. But Jake will call. He's the only, Jake is the only one that will call me. Uh, um, and then dad and and so Jake and dad dad calls me. Got
2: it. Well, I should maybe start calling you now yeah. that I have your number.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, give Give me a yeah <laughs> yeah
2: um in two years what is your dream job where you, where would you want to be
1: oof yeah man i like that i like that <laughs> question a lot um i i i do a lot of thinking <laughs> i i do a lot of thinking about what i want to do with my life and um yeah it occupies a lot of my brain space and you know i'm still not 100% sure and i think that there's only a very there's a few things in this world that i know right? Like I know that you're my biological brother. Like I could say that with certainty. I know that I love international travel and I know that I love, uh, music, uh, and kind of live concerts. And so those are two general areas that it would be awesome for me to get into. I, you know, more specifically my contract period ends in June of, uh, of next year. So I have about 10 months left. And I, I'm done with Asia, but not done with being international. I don't think that's something I'll ever really finish. Um, and my next kind of goal in sight, uh, the next, the next, yeah, my next goal is there is this MBA program in Israel. It's actually called a G-MBA, which is like a global MBA. And it has a specific focus in entrepreneurship. So international MBA, entrepreneurship, And then also takes place in tel aviv israel and it's something that i've been thinking about for over a year now actually um just in terms of like one wanting to get to israel and then also going back to school Uh, i think israel's israel has really called me recently for whatever reason it is between the conversations i have with people i meet that are israeli Mm -hmm. and everything i hear about it um so my next yeah my next thing that i'm gunning at is going back to school hopefully in Israel um, maybe somewhere in Europe but ideally Israel Uh, and there's a few reasons for that Um, like the main being that the price of a master's degree in somewhere like Israel or Europe is literally a fraction of the price that it is in the U.S. and unlike you I don't I'm not my company's not going to be paying for my master's so I'm paying out of pocket Um, and Basically, if I go to the U.S. and go to school, I have to take out loans. And if I go to Europe or Israel, I won't. And I'll have even I'll have spending money on top of that. And so, yeah, that's yeah. where I would like to be two oh, years from now.
0: I think that would be move, cool. man.
2: You know, I always got your back. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to come live on a farm with me and Annie, uh, always play as well. <laughs> but. I think that that's like kind of exciting and right up your alley to further your studies at, in a fun place in a different country and uh, with beautiful people and like, and you yeah. I definitely would come down and do my little birthright trip uh, with you.
1: There you go, man. Yeah. And I, you know, so like I love, I love travel um, and I think that it's pretty Like a lot of people are English teachers and just kind of travel the world, uh, which is completely fine. Uh, That's entirely fine. But my perspective on it is that I want to combine my uh, adventures really with uh, study and and work. Right. Like I want to do it in like a more of a conscious way. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, switching back, like I studied in Thailand, I worked in China, Uh, hopefully I'll study in Israel. Uh, hopefully, I, I can work somewhere after that, um, and I, I want to work in a job that is not just uh, English teaching. I want to be in some kind of international uh, startup or uh, yeah, that kind of space where where I could also like hopefully, like ideally, work with local indigenous people and and help out a little bit. Um, but you know, those are all broad things. I'm still really at the beginning of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of my the general trajectory yeah
2: no, that's awesome i think there's a lot in play there that's exciting
1: yeah it's different
2: so what are we like 20 minutes in
1: well, uh 30 minutes in for this <laughs> i
2: was just kind of kidding we're, we're like an hour and a half though right
1: oh, oh including the first one okay. yeah, yeah
2: yeah yeah so you just, <laughs> just have two more hours to go for all the listeners out there make sure you i do i do, I do a, lot of, a lot
1: of questions <laughs> but there's two more topics that I want to talk about. This don't have to take up too much time. We've been on the phone for a while. Um, but the first one is the, the MBA. So, uh, yeah, man, who do you got? <laughs> we'll start there.
2: My master's of business administration. I, no, I'm just kidding. NBA. <laughs> um, who do I have? Well, I don't know if you know this, but I like to gamble in sports. Um, <laughs> and I have developed quite the affinity to do so. Um, I've always loved sports. You know, anyone who's known me at any part of my life would <laughs> know I am a sports fanatic. Um, uh, it's, it's specifically basketball, honestly. You know, I, I don't care much for baseball. Um, soccer I enjoy, but I don't follow it. Uh, and, and football, I, you know, I enjoy just like everyone on a Sunday. But I love basketball more than anything else. And um, – yeah, like gambling, and and I bring that to say is you know I will often, you know, just have put money on a team, and then that's who I root for. Um, and I actually don't even do it myself. I, me and a few of my friends pay this expert, the sports consulting guy, um, and he gives his picks, <laughs> and it's all you think of like a stock market or any sense. You know, he's been great, um, and we've done very well um, just by being patient and, you know, not going with our own heads, going with this guy's system. It's called uh, TMS. Trust my system. If anyone from TMS is listening to this, I love you guys. And, um, and, and, you know, the picks they send are great and do very well. So um, that's how I kind of gamble on sports right now. As far as who's I think is going to win. Uh, um, it's hard to say, not mention the Lakers and, you know, the fact that's LeBron, and then he's got Anthony Davis and a lot of experience. And then the Clippers uh, got Kawhi and Paul George, and then again, you know, pretty deep bench and a lot of experience. So I think it's going to be one of them, you know, not too much of a hidden surprise. Um, I will say that I think Boston is a giant that no one's speaking about just because they have a lot of potential. Um, and growth opportunities like they haven't really hit their stride and you know, think about the playoffs it's like you want to play your best ball you know during that time and and the celtics are a young team that i feel like have haven't reached the ceiling yet and that's you know if they they can get there they 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 can be scary and they could represent the east they could easily knock off the Bucks, the heat uh the raptors um or anything i, I do like the raptors but so I think the C's come out of the East. And then I think winner of obviously the Lakers Clippers, um, I am going to go with the Clippers. And then Lakers or Celtics uh, Clippers, seven-game series. Jason Tatum's going to have the ball with the last second shot. Kawhi Leonard is going to somehow claw the ball out of him and uh, hit a game winner it is how I'm predicting the series to go.
0: Did that answer sure. your question? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it did. That was a good, that you know, was a very what about you? comprehensive answer. Um, Have you been watching? I don't know, man. It's been a really weird. Amb- no, not okay. that much. It's been a weird season. I haven't been watching much. I, uh, You know, it's on at weird times, mostly when I'm working, actually. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still in tune, but uh, it's just a weird, it's weird watching them play, man, in that, like, kind of – Computerized bubble, yeah. It's, it's you ever been to an thing? AU basketball game? Um, it's yeah. very
0: yeah.
2: similar, uh, and in the sense that there's like a lot of fans, mm. yeah. yeah, and you know, it's just like everyone's like, oh,
1: right. right, and you can hear the bounce. And you and know,
2: stuff. not to cut you off or anything, but I, I will say that obviously, you know, no mm-hmm. home court advantage, even though they've tried to do that, mm-hmm. you know, with the sounds and and the um, and the stuff that's around the, uh, the arena that they play in, the, the lights and, and things like that. They try to make it feel like home court advantage, but it's really not. Um, but what it does do is it really levels the playing field. So these differences of the really good teams, of those Lakers and Clippers, are not as substantive as they would have been under normal circumstances. And I say that because it's those good teams with a lot of experience, You know, they thrive and do better than normal in tough environments and when they're away and, you know, in tough situations. So having a level playing field where there are no away games and you're not, you know, traveling across the country and being in the – you know, having fans yell at you makes it easier for the younger players and the less experienced teams to
1: um, play ball. That's a good point. That's a very good point, and I I definitely agree with that. I think with that, the influence of the crowd like that, um, it definitely does level the playing field. You're right. I, like that. I haven't thought of that. Do you think? Do you think uh, they should have stopped playing? Oh hell yeah! Last week. Oh, last I mean, week.
2: Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, the, when
1: they boycotted. Um,
2: Yeah, I totally, man. The NBA is the best. The NBA is the most progressive. They lead the way. Most progressive league, you know. They lead the way. You think about COVID, and they were the first league to recognize the severity of it and and stopped. You know, it's a players' run league, and um, and it's and it's great. Do I think that? Yeah. I think that them calling issue and talking about with the commissioner or, you know, with their owners in the league about, hey, we really want to be active with the injustices that are happening in this country. What can we do? And they stopped playing and tried to figure that out because, you know, obviously what was on the table was leaving the bubble, leaving Orlando and going back home because they were so frustrated and pissed at what's going on in the country. But then, you know, they came to the realization, they came to the conclusion that this platform that they have of playing ball and being in the bubble and having these interviews, you know, is, is going to have more power than them just walking away. Uh, that's why they yeah. decided to stay. And, you know, there are lots coming out of it as far as Working with the owners, so the owners, you know, these rich, powerful people that own the NBA teams and have – billionaires that have a lot of money and are able to, you know, divulge their resources to um, certain things of what the players want. And then, you know, working with the league on what they can do, it's it's great. Man. I mean, NBA doesn't do anything wrong in my eyes. Um, and, and they lead the way.
1: For sure. No, it's a, a good answer, and I, I agree that them playing games can definitely be way it, it will be way more impactful than them not playing games. Um all right. Well the the last topic I want to transition to um is uh something that we actually haven't really spoken about. Uh but your your time living in Rome. I think you spent like five months there during college, right? Sure did. Tell me, tell me a little about it, man. I'm I'm curious to hear about your international experience. How 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 was yeah, it like? Would I studied you, you in
2: Rome. Graduated 2016, so I must have studied in Rome 2015, and we are in 2020. And I guess it was only five years. I guess feels like maybe it might have been like six or seven. Um, Rome was great. You know, when I think about my experience in Rome, um, I think not only about Rome, <laughs> but, you know, i I'm, Rome was my home base, but I was traveling every weekend. I was studying abroad in Rome. Mm-hmm. I was taking pass or classes my junior year of college. And um, totally recommend it to anyone. And, uh, you know, I, I, traveled to Croatia, Croatia, Greece, Oktoberfest, Germany, uh, Belgium uh, Brussels, uh, you know, Ireland, Spain, uh, um, other areas of Italy. So, um, it was great. Italy was a great spot to have that home base because of the accessibility in the, in the two airports that they have in Rome. Um, and, um, and I traveled with three of my friends. So I actually went to Rome with three of my good friends from college. So we you know, it was the four of us and we would travel together, which, made it safer and, and, you know, collecting memories easier rather than making new friends and figuring out who to travel with. You know, it's, you could all, well, you know, instead of traveling by yourself, either travel by yourself or travel with, you know, friends that you like. Um, uh, And so I, you know, I did that. Um, And, uh, and Rome was great. I mean, you know, Rome, (sighs) great food obviously but you know they're very they had, a lot of the shop owners speak english um and it was a fun place to go out and i will say you know i don't know we've been to europe like once or twice right,
1: well yeah i spent the summer and traveled around went to some of the places that oh right 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 i totally forgot to eat
2: that yeah one of the things that i realized about italy um that wasn't Always the case in some of the other countries was they their nightlife um, and the, the male aggressiveness towards females and and catcalling is is there and that was something that stands out because I was often with American ladies um, and I I just remember being triggered um, and being very protective when we were out and about against other Italian dudes um
1: it's 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 super interesting that you brought that up i want to hang on to that topic for a little more because it's something that i've actually realized with my run-ins with italians while being international in asia like the way that they treat women when they're out uh so it's 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 interesting that yeah i mean it's annoying that that's the reality i guess hearing you confirm it uh is um not surprising but uh interesting i guess and um I can totally see it also uh, the the way that I guess the men even dress and carry themselves, especially when they're out. I think they're, you know, very concerned with fashion and, uh, you know, slick back hair and all this stuff. And obviously we'll, I'll preface it with, with we're, we're both Italian, right? So, <laughs> um, so it's not like we're necessarily talking shit, uh, but making an observation on something that's like a negative part of the mm-hmm. culture. And, uh, yeah man it's interesting just on that topic I, this is kind of separate from travel but like i was i was talking with uh the girl that i split up with um you know cuz we're still homies and uh i don't know we were just talking about like things that we absolutely hate and literally the first thing that came to my mind um was was that like being out or just in public not even like being out of bars and you just act people in general but then women and it's like when you're at, and like grabbing girls and doing all this stuff and uh like i literally yeah. i literally hate that like i i can't describe how much i hate it um,
2: Yeah, well, we have the same gene in that yeah, way yeah I, was, i've been against yeah, it for a while time. It's, right, even going back to like my college days in the frat like i was not that like it was as pervasive of when we were out in like public italian bars but if i ever saw my friend like um making a girl uncomfortable i'd i try to do something about it
1: for sure for yeah. sure yeah all right well so, so 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 back to rome um i mean R- rome is i mean it's an amazing place i mean it's one of the most historical historically important and prevalent places in the world i mean did it like have an impact oh. on you like kind of just seeing the amount of like old stuff <laughs> like i remember my my first international experiences uh, like wait, I don't know, four, four years ago, whatever it was, the very first thing that I realized was like, oh my God, all this old stuff mm. that's out here. Yeah. Because there's no old stuff in the U.S. And I'm using the term stuff, but like in Asia, just like temples and Buddhist statues that are like thousands of or hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Like that type of stuff doesn't exist in the U.S. And when I think of Rome, I think of, you know, the Coliseum, all that really awesome stuff. So what was, yeah, does
0: that stuff I, have like any impact
2: Sure. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I... You know, was going there for the history (laughs) at the time, and I, you know, went did all the history. You know, I went to the Colosseum and the the Vatican, and you know, I saw great stuff. I think you experiencing it probably would have more of an impact on you. Um, And you know, I, I was interested in you know what blew me away was just it was my. It wasn't my first time abroad. I, I've been to Genoa, Italy um, before that, but it was um, it was just the interactions I had and what everyday life was, you know, like living in the city, you know, like you're very aware of it, like living there and being part of the culture rather than being a tourist per se is the impact. Yeah, yeah. In- yeah, I mean it was it was good and great. I, Rome's actually history didn't weigh on me like. Said, Croatia was really cool. They didn't have any Colosseum, but you know that just the way they operate and in, in split Croatia where I was, um, huh. it's the layout of the city. Um, totally recommend that place. Uh, Greece was cool. Um, talk about the Parthenon and. and and um, that
1: you know I think, no, I, i've been to split um how long did you spend there
2: we did split well um we were there for like you know a weekend so our weekends we leave thursday thursday night friday night Saturday night next sunday or monday um so we were probably there three nights, uh, and it was one of the first or two places we visited. How we got to split from Rome, we had to go around, um, kind of like the I forget what sea it is, or you know what body of water is between. It's the Mediterranean. It's the Mediterranean. It's not the Dead Sea. Is it? It? I don't. I don't know. Okay, well, it was the Mediterranean then. <laughs> and so we had to go around. I to remember. I just remembered, try. you know, taking like a long bus ride and not taking a flight to go to Split. Um, and we actually did Split with, like, a tour group, which, what, you know, we didn't do that for the other places, but for, it worked well for Split. Um, I think it was whatever reason, because it was kind of like short notice. Yeah, I It was six, five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. But we did it through a tour group, and they had things set up for us. So we had activities that we could do and partake in. And... For whatever re- oh, we went to a island off of Split Two, which was just very cool. But for whatever reason I thought that it was just such a unique place compared to some of the other countries. Um, just the layout, the hmm. the people there, you know, we all like very happy and um, and uh, and yeah, it was just like, beautiful, obviously. It was just like a really cool place. So and it was just, I really mean, like a great time out too, like Nightlife stuff, so I just had good vibes there, um, all around.
1: For sure, yeah. No, I mean Croatia was was awesome. I, I spent two weeks there, and only about like a day or two in Split, um, but yeah, Croatia was cool. I love all the all, yeah. all the islands. Uh, it was, yeah, it was super. So, the, I mean,
2: you've never been to Rome,
1: right? Never been to Rome, but definitely, you know, a, a
2: place yeah, that cool. I, I will go. Yeah, it's I dangerous. It uh, you know, if you... Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's dangerous if you're out at a night and don't know where you're going, just like a lot of places are, right? Um, but I, I was in those situations a lot in Rome. not um, by myself, I, you know, I, it was my mm-hmm. own base, and we were out drinking all the time and having fun like during the weekend. Um, you just got to be... Rome And pickpocketers, you know, Rome's you know, one of those places that's good with that. Um, uh, so hmm. it's good. It's just, it's very touristy. So it's kind of like going there with an intent of how you want your experience to be, but I totally recommend it. I'm not trying to downplay it. Rome is great. It's got everything that a tourist wants and needs, um, but there's you know, it's, it is touristy. Right. Know that.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. And <laughs> A few things about touristy locations. Like, one, I think a way to mitigate that is just the time of year you go and then also just the yeah. actual activities that you are doing. Like, obviously, there's no, like, replacement for seeing the Colosseum or something, but there's are certain areas that you can kind of remain in that are less touristy. And then, additionally, just with coronavirus and everything, even when there's a vaccine for coronavirus, I'm, I think that travel has taken a fundamental um, – actually pivot uh it, it's fundamentally changed for for the future for at least a few years which i personally am excited about because i don't give a shit about corona and i'm willing to um do my best to, to border hop um in accordance with with local regulations so yeah yeah it, it it's been nice in vietnam because there are no other tourists it's, yeah. it's been a really unique experience. It really yeah,
2: no, I'm sure this. I mean, we're, we're you're in, you're doing the right thing
1: right now in the you're the place to be. You're in a lot
2: safer country than the US when it comes to the pandemic and how they're managing it and um you know, you're not missing much, man. Everyone's in their houses. It's not like <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going out and having a good time. It, it's not it's not what's happening in the world right now.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, I uh, I don't really have any other questions or topics. But do you have anything did else? Did we talk to about healthcare?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, we did. I feel like we
1: talked a lot about healthcare. <laughs> yeah.
2: um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been yeah. good talking to yeah, you. I hope we can continue to connect um, and, and catch up with each other and what's going on in our lives. You know, like. I know you're not planning to come back to the States um, anytime soon, but I'm going to be in this place for, you know, this Chicago location for a little bit. i got a nice place here. And, you know, like I said, I have a guest room, so you can always come through. And that goes for you, Annalene. I know you're listening right now. Uh, You You can always come to Chicago as well. Um, But... Yeah, man. I, I appreciate it. it's been good talking with you, and let's try to keep
1: up the uh, communication. Yeah, no, let's do it. I totally agree, and um, I will also take yeah. you up on that offer. Oh, um, yeah, because when I do come back to the U.S., I, I, I can add a little more clarity around that. I think that there's either it's either like December or March, essentially, are the two time periods that uh, two months that I would like uh-huh. kind of aim to come back and in either one of those scenarios, I would continue to be working online for the same company that I am with right now. And I'll definitely be um, moving around a little bit in the U S as much as I can. We'll see where regulations are at, at that point. But yeah, would, essentially what I'm saying is I would definitely love and will most likely be able to come to Chicago. Yeah, so for sure. cool. We could
2: always you know, do a little road trip somewhere else. Uh, it was a beautiful place. I'm just kidding. Not, not too, not, the, the scenic areas of the Midwest aren't really a thing. It's it's the, the city vibes like Chicago, uh, which are cool. But going to Wyoming in a couple, mm-hmm. couple of months to go visit my boy Jake uh, and see how he's doing in Jackson. And then we're going to Denver as well.
1: So I we got that on the radar. Very nice. He's still down there, huh? It's been
2: a while. So, yeah, he is. He's kind of like you. Um you know, wanting to be the adventurous traveler, he just got caught up with being in the U.S. and he he got he was doing New Zealand for I think a year, he was in New Zealand for a year, and, which seemed dope. Um, but now he's you know, he's in Jackson, Wyoming, and he's got a good gig and living in his uh family mansion and uh working at a resort his free time, so he's just
1: that's. Yeah, I mean, that's as good of a gig as you can get. New Zealand is also an yeah. fucking yeah. amazing place. Um, I've yeah, never it's, been there. It's hard
2: to get to. Um, yeah. could I like it a, is hard to get and, to. And just give like a shout-out to like all the people that have helped me get here to this point in my life. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, all right, so the first person I have to yeah. shout-out is Rocco. Um, Rocco, I got a new dog, two-week-old, or... Got him two weeks ago. It's two and a half years old. He's great. <laughs> just a little training, we'll get him there. Uh, the next person's Annie. Uh, Annie, you've been my rock all through these last two years. Uh, it's been great, great now and then. Can't wait for the next two years. <laughs> uh, mom and Dad, you guys really do great with the Facetimes. Um, Jake, uh, you're 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 doing good. Uh, and Annie and Leanne, you're you're perfect yourself. So uh, yeah, just you know. It's really I, everything I, I've done in my first six years has just kind of culminated uh, in flash before my eyes talking to you, Kyle. So can't wait to see you again, brother.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. I think uh, you uh, you said all the right things. Family's doing well. New dog in place. Girlfriend. Th- things are things mm-hmm. are going well. New apartment. <laughs>
2: any, any man who knows a damn thing, he knows. Not a
1: damn thing at all. I like how you know that's a <laughs> cool intro because you keep bringing it up. <laughs> Canon. <laughs> all right, man. I, uh all right. Yeah, good, chatting. I good chatting. Good chatting.
0: No, it's not a damn damn thing at all and every time i felt the hurt and i felt the giving getting me up off the wall i'm just gonna take a minute and let it ride i'm just gonna take a minute and let it breeze i'm just gonna take a minute and let it ride i'm just